Welcome back, everyone, to another review of an album that's new to us. This is album number 44, which is Illmatic by Nas. Yeah, I was uh, running through my head. I think an interesting place to start here would be to sort of place this album in with the rest of the... Uh, hip-hop albums that we've done chronologically speaking okay nice first we've got takes a nation a million to hold us back that's public enemy right public enemy they sort of like set the bar for for what yes breakthrough hip-hop album can be the low-end theory by trap called quest 91 91 or 92 okay then you've got i believe uh you've either got this or um actually wu-tang enter the wu-tang was in 93 then you've got uh, Illmatic, so that's where we are today, uh, by Nas. As well as uh, Biggie's Ready to Die, 94. Yeah, came, that came, we'll talk a little bit about that and some a little bit of chatter between the two kind of groups of artists there. Uh, came later in the year, 94. And The Chronic, which we haven't re- referenced yet, it was 1992. So all in this sort of oh, sweet, whoops. sweet spot here. Yeah, um, that's right, The Chronic. Early 90s hip-hop. And I, I think when we had... Um, uh, when we had... Uh, I'm forgetting who this was now. Oh, when we had Manuel on, uh, he, he talked about early 90s as being kind of the pinnacle of hip-hop uh, just a few episodes ago. Uh, so... Yeah, this yeah, last is, episode. This is right in that uh, that wave, I guess, that sweet spot that he was talking mm-hmm. about, and um, golden golden age of early hip hop. Yeah, I, I just wanted to start with that because I think for people like us who are pretty in the dark as far as this genre goes, it's helpful for me to place it in a setting to sort of say, okay, this sure. came before it, this comes after. Um, we haven't referenced uh, Kanye and Kendrick's albums; they come much later, obviously, but. Um, I, I would think both of them would reference this early 90s as something that they are building on, the stuff that came before as well. In 98, you get Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Yep. Not entirely, but mostly a hip-hop album. Right. And then in 2000, you get D'Angelo's Voodoo, yeah. which isn't a hip-hop album, but really feels like it. Without the rapping, it, it is majorly a lot of uh, hip-hop influences there. Right. So this kind of falls... Yeah, this falls like in that early period and is in good company with, you said, the other big artists right around the time, Dr. Dre, Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang, Biggie. Biggie, you know, it's it's all right there. Yep, I think that's a good place, especially if you're not familiar with this genre, like us, uh, to, just to kind of um, understand the context. And also, it's I think it's appropriate that we've discussed all those albums already. We're at album number yeah. 44. We've already put a good foundation of hip-hop artists ahead of this um which majorly contradicts the previous rolling stone yeah, list it yeah. took us this it took us this long to get to one album right uh the first hip-hop album which was um public enemies takes an asian million sold us back uh which was around this somewhere around here 46 yeah. or something like that yeah so anyways yeah that's just a little preamble to 
uh, to this album, the setting of this album. So this is. So why don't I? I think it's time just for details on this album. Yeah, let's dive right in. Details, 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 details. So Illmatic was released April nineteenth, nineteen ninety-four. Uh, this is Nas's debut album. Uh, he recorded it from late ninety-two to kind of the early summer of 93 so it was a while before it was almost a year before it was uh, from the end of recording to when it was released okay i often wonder there seemed to be a lot of we we got this as well with biggie there seemed to be a lot of issues with some of these startup hip-hop groups and artists and labels yep it was a new genre so maybe it was harder to get uh big record companies labels on board to get distribution um to be maybe even to be taken seriously by some of the the people in the industry you gotta imagine the guy sitting behind the soundboard it's not necessarily a hip-hop artist (laughs) um or someone who appreciates that music so yeah i think there's there's other reasons too we know a lot of these artists were themselves involved in in crime Mm -hmm. uh drug dealing and and kind of that whole drug business and some had already served jail time so i think there was difficulties just getting it going and i think that's maybe why some of these seem to take a while to get off the ground yeah i'm i'm not i'm not referencing one thing specifically but i think in general i'm reading about some of that that's probably true i think um it was when we talked about the chronic we um we talked about dre's shift to try and claim some of the production side of things was because they felt like they were being taken advantage of too right they get these yeah these kids um it wasn't necessarily true for dre he had a uh, a bit better upbringing than some people but Nas certainly right. like grew up in the projects and um, his the lyrics on this album referenced how difficult that was to have mm. that upbringing and then to sort of be thrust into um, the limelight of the record industry I imagine is is pretty jarring and so um, it's no wonder that you start to get these sort of uh, tensions that, that come into that side of the behind the scenes uh, space as well to sort of as people are sort of figuring out what is this supposed to look like what is this supposed to be and not necessarily having backgrounds that would have had uh, awareness and how business should operate properly uh, things like that yeah I think that those are all really good points and and definitely factors in I think some of the struggles that may have occurred in, in these early hip-hop mm-hmm. albums in the end that it worked out they were for the most part, very successful and launched a powerful and important genre that's still very much in the forefront of music today. Yeah. In terms of writing credits, as we've discussed before with hip-hop albums, usually you have a few different authors writing lyrics and then a producer. And usually those names can be different for each track. No exception here. Primary songwriter for each song, or lyric writer, I'll say, is, is Nasir Jones, which is Nas. And then a lot of different uh, different producers. Uh, one name familiar to me, DJ Premier, and uh, also Q-Tip uh, from a previous album we reviewed last week. Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest. He's also on one of the tracks. And some other people who are less familiar to me, but I'm sure much more familiar in this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it charted, it went to number 12 on the Billboard 200, which is not too bad. Uh, for a debut hip-hop album in 94. Went to number two on the R&B and hip-hop charts, Billboard charts there. Didn't do well in the beginning, but as of January 2019, has sold over 2 million 
copies. Um, so still being popular, uh, even approaching today. Some notes on the album in general. It's, uh, it's widely regarded as one of the best hip-hop albums of all time and as heavily influencing the, the genre in the early 90s. In terms of the early hip-hop, we talked about some of the other great hip-hop artists in that time. Uh, this is considered one of the best and one of the albums that influenced like everyone else. Um, as I mentioned, the initial sales were less than expected, but the critics gave high praise to the album. They all loved it. And then sales continued, and eventually it did reach platinum in about seven years later in 2001. So that's a million copies. And the album, as you referenced, Ben, the album explores themes of drug violence, artistic credibility, and also musical endowment. Um, interesting because uh, Nas's father uh, was a musician himself. I should say is. He's not passed. He is a musician and uh, a cornet player, guitar player, and he played um, well, he was in the, the military, I believe the Navy. Yes, he was in the Navy and he and he, uh, he was a musician with them as he was uh, traveling wow. in the Navy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think the only other thing to add before we dive into the music is uh, that this is pointed at by many people as a... Um, sort of foundational album especially for mm. for for more hardcore hip-hop like uh, yep yeah i guess the the shift from uh you know what you hear on something like public enemy where mm -hmm. it's funny it's uh, we've we've referenced a couple times it's almost clean comparatively speaking to the sort of aggressive gangster rap that that starts to right. show on things like wu-tang and this and um Many people point to this as kind of a, a turning point, like a, a, a part of a bigger wave that, that really changed that genre, creating more intensity in the lyrics, more mm -hmm. yeah. uh, graphic de depiction of things. And uh, I think that's important to know. I think as I was listening, this is getting dangerously into like uh, concluding thoughts territory here. But <laughs> as I was listening, I, at first I was like, what, what, is, what am I missing here? Like this sounds somewhat similar to what else we've heard from this genre and to sort of know that this is one of the first ones that sort of sounded like this i think is is really helpful to know okay this is like this is what other people were borrowing from in in creating their uh sort of soundscapes and and the intensity right. of their of their albums that that would follow so yeah just for that that sort of pioneer piece alone i think is, is important to say up front and for me it feels very sudden you go from low end theory in 91 being they cuss a few times yeah. but it's fairly clean yep. not overly violent uh not referencing drugs and violence a ton a little yeah. bit but not much yep. um and then you move into 93 with wu-tang and then 94, you get this and you get Biggie. Yeah. Uh, and, and sorry, and The Chronic also, which, you know, we switch right away to uh, a strong reference to, you know, especially marijuana use, which yep. I think was most popular uh, in the genre at the time. They're very upfront about, about using it, uh, very upfront about uh, 
doing crack or dealing crack or things yeah. like that. I just felt like the shift, it's not like a gradual, okay, we had a few albums that reference a bit, and then this one, it's just kind of like, boom, Fair all of a sudden there. we get into 93, yeah. 94, and everybody's like like really like very explicit in, in talking about those different mm -hmm. issues, violence, drug violence, drug dealing, crime, yep. all those things. And a lot of them are from personal experiences, personal reflection. So maybe it's just also people being feeling that they can share what their Finally. life's been like. Yeah. I think it's important too to to think that this is not just like some sub genre like like really fringe too. Like the fact right. that this yeah. intensity was also hitting the mainstream music world. Um not only was it does it feel like a jarring shift, but it's like charting this jarring shift, right? Like right. <laughs> that's really fascinating yeah. to me too. We were maybe a bit young still at that point to really be yeah, aware sure. of oh yeah its oh, impact geez. up up uh at the time uh, at the top of the charts but uh but amazing really i, I mean I, there's not even really parallels today um that come to mind quickly as like this intense of of uh sort of gratuitous language uh <laughs> charting well yeah. right like we're yeah we're a bit no, softer that's... a little poppier maybe uh <laughs> uh right now yeah well that would be an interest for another time that would be an interesting look to see some of the albums that came before maybe punk yeah. in the late 70s and in the 80s uh where you start seeing music with more explicit more profane lyrics Mm -hmm. being popular and charting well in, in the mainstream uh, but i think yep. this is a you're right a big shift for that that now you have not only is this being produced and released but it's also being very successful and popular and accepted yeah no good point and, and yeah i think we're we see a big shift and now we're seeing a lot more of that on, on this list uh because of it yeah. this yeah. this rolling stone list where i think we had gotten to what over 60 albums and hardly any cursing at all <laughs> in in yeah. all of that very little i think the first one might have been like john lennon's <laughs> debut solo album which was like number 23 or something um working man's hero uh you know which was very different yeah. for him and the beatles anyways don't want to get mm -hmm. on too, too much of bunny trail <laughs> but um if you're ready i want to move on to the the album artwork yeah and this is one that is familiar to me i feel like this is an image that is very prominent in pop culture it's one that i've seen even if i didn't know exactly where it came from like it says nas right not so i knew it was nas mm -hmm. even though i wasn't in the music but i didn't know when kind of when it came out or how popular it was but this is this is an album cover i'm familiar with uh, was it familiar to you as well i think so um i uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit to our early reflections here but um i owned a nas album and uh oh. and so it may be, it may have been at that point in my life where i was flipping through his back catalog uh that i would have discovered that for the first time it was during my right. college high school corn picking days somewhere in there so um right. yeah i think this is somewhat familiar to me although i remember we talked about this cover when we talked about the uh, Biggie album and the similarities of like putting an image of a young child on the cover and yeah. whether one was ripping the other off and the Biggie one is far more uh, ingrained in my mind than this one for Nas so okay. my, it's a very minor detail in, in like Ben's head but uh, 
this is less less familiar to me than than the biggie one i think this was more familiar to me and, and i'm okay. not really familiar with either of the albums but yeah sure i feel like this was kind of burned in my mind and i believe it, one of his albums i don't know if it was the one that you had he had a later one where it was a very similar image but him as an adult i don't know if that was the one you had um Good but this question. this one <laughs> yeah because i've seen that one too it's it's very similar to this one uh one of one of the albums that came after this but this album uh is it's a picture of of Nas as a seven-year-old so it's a picture that he provided on the front superimposed over a city block and I believe it's uh, uh-huh. Queensbridge which is the community that he grew up in in New York and uh, he's got a little bit of an afro uh, just not really smiling just an image of him superimposed so it's kind of blended with the background the, the background and Nas it's kind of in a I want to say uh, it's not black and white but like brown scale um, okay kind of just the a lot of brown colors in in the background um and then kind of a ready maroon nas is in the top right corner uh, if you haven't seen it just google it um so you can have a look at it mm-hmm. almost in like a script a script sort of uh writing yeah i'd imagine like like the name of a of a latino gang in in la yeah. being written in this sort of uh <laughs> script <laughs> kind oh. of block very stylized writing yep um of course probably a, a new a newer thing um we hadn't seen much before and we've seen now on a few albums uh, the parental advisory explicit lyrics in the bottom right i don't know when that started but i imagine a lot of these hip-hop albums were getting that slapped on it in the early mm-hmm. 90s mm-hmm. and then in the left bottom uh, illmatic <laughs> ill ill is in that same that same lettering lowercase ill but in that stylized writing but then matic is in more of a computer like a times new roman or sort of thing so interesting style choices there this often happens with debut albums but uh he shifts in album uh in his second album which is also it also features kind of the uh, maroon burnt brown kind of projects behind but he's older and uh and it's him so maybe that's the one you were referencing but he shifts at that point to his nas logo which is a capital and a small a and then a sort of stylized s over top of the a and he he holds that as his like iconic logo then for it looks like the rest of his albums um but in this one he's got he's got nas in that like latino gang font you're right um there, there's another so that that second album is called it was written it it features a, a younger uh, uh looking image of him and then in 1999 his album nostradamus has the same sort of brick projects but he's wearing a hood kind of over his head like nostradamus i okay. guess um oh. so there's three three variations on the same cover essentially all him yeah all the yeah. same buildings uh, all sort of like see-through look in the face and um right it's really fascinating so he chose this photo because he said when he was seven that's when he began uh quote noticing everything around him that there was life outside the pro the projects Hmm. he started noticing that things were bigger which is pretty young (laughs) to be to be noticing that but Nas seems like a fairly uh, intuitive person who has good comprehension of the things around him uh, he said the inspiration to use the photo actually came from Michael Jackson. He was a big Michael Jackson fan who influenced him. And his afro, or the afro that he sported as a younger uh, artist, uh, was what inspired him. Um, and that oh, interesting. also 
leads toward that that um the biggie album which came out later in the same year which has a child on the front which is not biggie it's just a child that they chose who's got a fairly large afro biggie was criticized by people who supported nas for kind of stealing that whole concept of putting a child on with a bit of an afro that he ripped him off so there was a bit of uh bit of tension there and i think nas or no someone from the wu-tang calls biggie out on a track like the next year something like that i read there's a bit of rivalry there about that but we had talked about that <laughs> even in, when we reviewed the biggie album that he'd been criticized for ripping uh, this album cover and there's also speculation the artist took the concept from a jazz album from 1974 called a child is born by the howard hanger trio i'm not familiar with the album image or the group or the music at all but i put a picture side by side here then a little further down it's very similar a young it's a young girl with a city block behind she's superimposed over top so it's kind of blurred in between the lines between the face and the and the block yeah i find the proportions are very similar and the style so yeah. uh, there's speculation although not confirmed that they were the art director was inspired by this photo um at least a nod i guess huh. it, does, it doesn't really matter in the end but but it's like <laughs> that old saying like uh nothing is new <laughs> Nothing's original, right yeah yeah everything's borrowed or stolen or inspired by something else in some way which i don't totally agree with but it's amazing how many things we see or hear or watch and go wow that's so great so fresh and someone goes oh actually <laughs> this is this is <laughs> taken from this other thing that was like 30 years ago so i'm not saying that that's bad but it is interesting okay let's move to let's move into the music here i'm gonna go first because i think we have slightly different experiences when it comes to Nas's music in general although not necessarily with this album but but I hadn't heard this before at all it was totally new I upon listening to it I thought I might know one or two songs and, and I really don't think any of them were familiar so this was a totally new experience for me what about you do you listen to the album before not this one, no. Uh, I referenced a little bit ago that um, I had an album growing up. Uh, 2002's Godson is the one that I oh, had. Okay. It, it had um, Thug's Mansion, which was uh, a track that came out kind of featuring Tupac, which I'm pretty sure oh. our friend Aaron played on repeat and probably the reason why <laughs> I picked this up. Um, okay. I listened to it enough <laughs> that I liked, uh, that I was familiar enough with the tracks when I went through it this week thinking like did i ever actually listen to that album any more than that one track but no i knew i knew several of the songs on it and uh, okay. had some some pleasant memories it's um you know it's almost a decade later and it sounds much more produced and polished and modern i guess i would say than than this debut album you know this is hindsight talking really but the nods that i listened to uh almost 20 years ago now sounded very different than the Nas on this debut album another decade before that. This all felt very new. I didn't listen to this album over the last few weeks and think, oh, I know this. It's a lot like <laughs> the album that I listened to uh, back in the day because it, it doesn't sound much the same. I mean, his, his uh, style is similar, but the production is very, very different. Right. I don't know whether to go specific or broad here, but in a broad sense, I felt like when I listened to Public Enemy and A Tribe Called Quest, um, it really 
felt like that old school i'm look at my air quotes um as you listen to this <laughs> old school hip-hop sound yeah that really you know almost cliche but really and this feels much more modern like i don't even biggie has just a very specific sound it's it not only was he unique just as Nas is unique but it sets it right in the time this i feel like blends more into the rap that you get in the early 2000s i think he was ahead of his time in the way in the way he makes it sound i mean i mean yeah yeah uh, i i am not i am an amateur when it comes to hip-hop music so i'm sure there's many people out there who, who could could have very good arguments as to why i'm wrong but it feels like it <laughs> it sounds it sounds more like the music that comes later in the 90s into 2000 and i think that he was ahead of the yeah. ahead of the curve there um even ahead of the some of the stuff that i think that wu-tang and and dr dre were doing just previous i think he's he's moved a little beyond that so i found that i found that very interesting i was surprised at how I'll use the word abrasive uh, the Wu-Tang album was. We listened to it, and I found it very difficult to listen to. I felt like I was being attacked and bombarded by the lyrics <laughs> yeah. and the aggressive yeah. nature of the album. Even the Dre album, I felt similar. This, you know, there's still those themes of, of there's themes of crime, there's themes of violent, gun violence, there's themes of drugs. But I didn't feel like I was being kind of beaten over the head with it. I felt like I was able to hear his story yet not feel kind of uptight and intense about it. I was yeah. able to just listen and, and absorb it without kind of this kind of just getting my, my back up. Like the Wu-Tang yeah. just felt like, I felt like, oh, I just felt tired after listening to it. Like, yeah. man, that was a lot. This, I felt <laughs> like, yeah, it was heavy at times in terms of the lyrical content, but not not kind of that I was just being beat up by it. So that yeah. that might just be personal. I don't know if you had a similar experience. I did. With that. I I was trying to sort of figure out the different the differences because it's subtle um there's still an aggression here yeah but it seems like yes. it's coming from a place of experience and and something lived whereas i, I feel like when i listen to wu-tang so much of it is posturing and like trying to mm, like yeah it's like i think swagger think or machismo and i, I think nas has yeah. some of that but I think he's like he's a poet. He's using his story to yeah. show how tough he is. Ra rather, you know, there isn't the sort of throwaway talking about how what, what horrible things they're going to do to someone they don't like in this album. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that happens in the Biggie album a little bit too. Um, I I guess I I feel like Nas seems like he's. It's still abrasive. It's still really in your face, but I think he's more—he's—he's he's a little bit more upfront about um, the artistic merit of this. It seems like, well, and and maybe that's something I'm putting on him. I don't know if he would say that, but it doesn't seem as much like uh, gangster rap for entertainment's sake as as it did mm. at times on, on some of the other albums. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm saying for me too is that. It, for whatever reason, personally, I felt it much more palatable. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that's just a personal reflection. The other thing, I don't know if it's just me, um, unless I, I missed a bunch of references, but way less um, sexually explicit language right. on this. Like, hardly any. Um, There's a little bit in the tribe, uh, quite a lot in the Biggie album, Wu-Tang as well, Dr. Dre maybe not quite as much. For this one, like, very little kind of sexual references 
I don't know. I'm just curious. Uh, I didn't research it. I'm curious why that's not a, a prominent part of his of his lyrics here. Whether it is in other albums, I don't know. But but I found that kind of jumped out at me uh, after I listened. I went, oh yeah, the other ones, you know, were quite heavy on that. The Biggie yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and and the interludes, right? There's a lot of interludes, mm-hmm. you know, reenacting uh, uh-huh. sexual behavior and and. You know, we don't get that. actually. There are no, there's no skits or interludes at all in this, is there? No. Except for maybe the intro. Um, that's another thing that makes this very different. Those other albums, they all have, you know, especially Wu Tang and Biggie and Dre. There's, there's all these skits and interludes in between. You know, two or three at least, maybe more. You don't get that here. Yep. Yep. So that's different as well. Not as much in Tribe, but and I'm just referencing the albums we've listened to, not all their albums, of course. Yep. We could you could probably do a whole podcast series on Nas's lyrics for each album. And we don't have have the time today to go through them. They are uh, very good. What I wrote here is complex and abundant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, it made it hard to keep up at times. Um, lots of references. Like this guy, man, he knows what he's talking <laughs> about. Um, he's very he's well, he's and he's well read, you know. It's he talks about his personal experiences, but there's lots of other references too, uh, in culture and and literature and all sorts of things. So that was, I feel like I I don't want to say too much because I feel like I'd have to spend way more time with them to really <laughs> open them up. But there's there's a lot there's a lot of lyrics. Yeah. Uh, again, and this is not uncommon, but again we hear lo- a lot of the samples are jazz, jazz or uh, a lot more jazz actually some of the other ones is more kind of funk r&b yeah. but there's a lot of jazz samples um his father uh, plays i don't know if it's a sample or if he had him play for the album on it and, and lots of lots of jazz samples you hear that throughout i've seen it as the other hip-hop albums we listen to like like an homage and a paying tribute to the the music the black music that came before the decades before that kind of led to this new genre in music yeah, get to another common theme uh, where where an artist you know heavily references that you know the city and the community he grew up in, all referencing New York a lot and Queensbridge and other other places. You know, I, that's that's common in hip hop. And again, I guess that feeds into a little bit of this, especially in the early '90s, that East West, East Coast versus West Coast rivalry that was very prevalent. He doesn't so much slam the West. There's not, I don't think that is there so much, but really heavily referencing uh where he came from um which is obviously very important and the last kind of general note i wanted to reference was um i think it was uh on the last episode manuel mentioned a a great website called who sampled where you can look up any song and it'll say uh all the samples you can even play them it'll show you where in the song it is and also where the where it came from and uh, so uh-huh. I looked that up, but then also in the same thing, it'll say what was sampled on the song and where where this song has been sampled since then. And for a few of them, it's like in the hundreds, like anywhere between <laughs> 80 and, and over 100 songs since these came out that, that have used wow. his song, Nas's songs in their songs and covers as well. So many covers and tons and tons of samples. So not only did Nas use some samples and some of them has three or four different samples from different songs from the past, but these songs have been used dozens and dozens of times each in music since then. And I found that very telling. I think that 
I mean, you can sample anything, but the fact that it just keeps being getting used over and over and over again in published music is, I think that says something. Great point. Um, yeah, I think that the sampling on a, a hip hop album has this power to possibly make it feel more familiar. And I wondered as yep. I was going through this if, um, because of the genre selection of whoever chose these samples, um, if that, uh, you know, if it were if it would be done this way today too, um, and why an album from ten years later feels a bit more familiar to me than than one from ten years previous, you know, that I think you're onto something with like the they often will borrow from the music that came before them or inspired them and uh and yeah in some ways the sampling kind of dates an album then too uh with right with where, it, with where it's placed in history and so there were uh, there were tracks here like uh memory lane sitting in the park might be my favorite <laughs> one on the on the album there's a really cool like kind of organ uh keyboards refrain that goes back and forth a little kind of doo-wop sounding backing vocal it just use a throughout the song and uh <laughs> it's got like a really lovely i don't know almost almost a um an older stevie wonder kind of sound mm. even mm. though he's talking about growing up in the projects in that track suddenly you're like in the park uh, <laughs> listening to that and uh yeah, yeah. It's amazing the power that those that those samples have in shaping, you know, the the feeling that you've got as you're listening to a particular track on the album. Yeah, the the, the sampling, you know, in in many of them, kind of creates the background, mm-hmm. the backing music for for the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into favor. Well, I guess uh, uh, one love featuring uh, Q-Tip, um, the background, and I'm not sure which song the sample is from but it's got this i can't tell if it's a marimba which is like a wooden xylophone or if it's a an an instrument with a similar sounding name a kalimba which Mm. is something you hold and you there's little metal tines on it you pluck them with your thumbs and yeah yeah. uh, it creates i don't know if you if you're familiar with that instrument but it creates kind of a a more of a plunky sound doesn't resonate quite Mm -hmm. as long i think it i think it's a kalimba um, so you've got that, and also um, represent, which has—I don't know if it's vibraphones, but it's—it makes me—it reminds me of like something that would have been the uh, Tchaikovsky's *The Nutcracker*, or or like I'm imagining a scene of Harry Potter when they're walking through Hogwarts. Like it's got that kind of chimey yeah. xylophone sound, uh, you know, the metal the Glockenspiel sort of thing, <laughs> uh, or vibraphones. So uh, yeah, um, really, really interesting. Um, kind of backing sounds there do you have other favorite tracks well this isn't necessarily a favorite track but one love i was um, (laughs) drawn to i know that the official title is featuring q-tip but it made me think like man like starting with marley uh you know his his famous (laughs) one love people get ready um, there are so many tracks out there by other artists uh, who've also called a song their song "One Love," and uh, uh, it's—I don't know—I guess it feels somewhat uh, cliche to have that uh, as a title. <laughs> I think it's often said in in songs too, even if it's not um, necessarily the title of the track. But 
just a quick uh, Spotify search shows that uh, the band Blue, which I know are a huge in the UK, but not so much here. They've got a track called One Love. Justin Bieber has a song called One Love. Um, the Carpenters have a song called One Love. Hootie and the Blowfish wow. has a song called One Love. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's so funny that, like, I don't know, One Love is... Uh, uh, a title that a, a, a hip-hop artist would also choose. Now, in fairness to Nas, um, when you search for One Love in Spotify, his song is the number one uh, return. So oh, interesting. This may be the most popular One Love, although I'm, I'm sure Bob Marley would have something to say about that if he were still alive. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's funny, but I, I don't know why that... Uh, that felt so uh, funny for me to see that that track just sort of jump out there in the middle of the evening. Didn't you two do a song called One Love? Uh, they have a song called One. Uh, I, I, I guess they do say One Love in that song. One so, Love! Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is now a good time to pick songs for our Spotify playlist? Yeah. If you've listened to any other episodes of our podcast before, you'll know that we picked two tracks from each album we review we put it on a playlist in spotify called sound logic favorites you can check it out There's lots of tracks on there now probably well over 200 i i think i'd go back to memory lane i think it's uh it's my favorite okay. of these. Um, uh, what about you honorable mention to one love i like that i i really <laughs> as much uh, i don't know what it is about the the refrain of this one and i was kind of singing it yesterday in my Bama was kind of giving me looks. Um, I was brushing my teeth. Uh, Can't wait to hear what the next part is. <laughs> Life's a bitch and then you die. That's why we get high. Because <laughs> you never know when you gotta go. <laughs> I don't know. I really like that one too. I think my favorite though is Represent. Okay. Again, I like that chimey background. And it, uh, it's it got a major shift because it starts with almost like these kind of uh, oh shoot! What was the song on Low End Theory? And I think that Manuel called it like a posse, posse lyrics or posse song. Uh, scenario. Scenario. Here we go, yo! Here we go, oh, yeah. yo! So what? So what? So what's a scenario? Right. That it one with kind of the gang. You, you kind of get that to like sing along, everyone. Yeah, yeah. This one represent, represent. You kind of get the gang, the posse <laughs> vocals in, right. uh, and then it switches to you know a very smooth. That's kind of an abra- uh, a jarring, syncopated beat. Then you get a very smooth, uh, classic hip hop uh, drum beat with those kind of ethereal chimes um, with some great lyrics. Uh, a, a little more cursing in this one, so I can't play that quite as often <laughs> in the house. Or yeah, represent would be my favorite. Sorry to all the hip hop fans for forgetting all the uh, <laughs> the names of previous songs we've listened to. Just edit it so it sounds um, right. <laughs> I will. I, I will. We talked about some of our favorite things. We talked about where it fits into the genre at the time, the other music from this genre that was being released. So, in terms of today, Ben, do you think this album's still relevant? It's been 27 years since it came out. And hip-hop is still very much uh, a prominent and prevalent genre. Yeah. Crossing over all genres, I think. What do you think? This is uh, a really hard question for someone who doesn't really have much awareness of the genre. It doesn't seem like it to me. This, like I said early okay. on, I, I had to do some research to discover that this was cutting edge at the time and like not much had sounded like this before. Now, it, to me, it right. sounds a little right. bit generic to consider it 
uh, as as really relevant. I think it's uh, okay. It's historically significant and something that I'm sure a lot of people point back to as a sort of origin album. But um, I don't know how that works then for relevancy and uh, maybe that's splitting hairs. But to me, that makes it feel less relevant because I'm not immediately drawn to it as something I want to be um, holding up now. It's like, this is what hip hop should be. Or... Right. I'm coming from the same place as you being not, not familiar with this genre and this music. I felt that this sounds much more like today's hip hop or the hip hop that we've heard in the last maybe 10 years than a lot of the other artists and acts from the genre at the time. Okay. I think this sounds more like mainstream hip hop in the 2000s even into the 2010s than than a lot of the other stuff like the Wu-Tang and even Biggie. I think this I think this style has been people have gravitated to this style more than others more often. Uh-huh. And I think because of that I think it's potentially more relevant. I think if we compare it to Biggie's album, I think a lot of those songs are catchier. It, this is my opinion, are catchier and maybe I think they appeal to a mainstream audience perhaps better than this does. However, I think this appeals to the hip hop artist better and is more relevant to the hip hop artist okay. in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years uh, than some of those others. And I think the a big part of that is not only the style but also the the lyrics and the the authorship i think is just just tops so yeah. i don't necessarily disagree with what you said but i just I, I i see a different angle to that as well how do you feel about the position this is number 44 it, it almost seems like we've hit you know at, at this point we're at 44 and we've penciled in kind of the biggest hip-hop albums mm-hmm. from the early 90s and late 80s yep <laughs> there's only a few left so it's almost in some ways i feel like well did they just slot them in periodically and just pick pick all you know the best artists and then their best album and then slot them in or is this really you know where it's supposed to, where it kind of is supposed to fall in terms of influence and success i don't know you mean this wasn't a certified vote and uh <laughs> uh yeah it, it'll be interesting to see what uh, don't comes, even what don't, comes don't start that with me you know that i'm bound to just go on a horrible Lengthy tangent if you open that can of worms. A uh, quick scan shows me that there's not much more hip-hop in the next 30 to 40 albums. And um, that's fascinating oh, okay. to me, that This is sort of like the last of these upper-level albums. We've got um, an Outkast album and a Jay-Z album coming up here very soon. But then it really it really drops off. And, um, and we don't get a whole lot more um, through the next... Like I said, 20, 30 albums. Um, Are you sure? Well, there's a few sprinkled in there. It's not the only, <laughs> uh, but... Well, in the next 10, there's like five more. Eric B. and Rakeem, another Outkast, another Jay-Z. Or sorry, that's the... Sorry, I have two 10. The next 10, there's not much, but in 60, oh, okay. yeah, 61 right. to 70, there's like four more. I didn't read Eric B. and Rakeem as a, as a hip-hop album. I'm not familiar with them, so maybe that's part of the... I'm pretty sure it is. Eric B. and Rakeem, Outkast, Jay-Z, NWA, all in 61 yeah. to 70. Yeah, that's true. But, but you know what? Outside of that, there's not, not a too much. So, no, there's not too much. So you're right. You're it right. is interesting to see that this sort of exists here, 
Whereas some things that I feel like we still haven't even gotten to, like Tupac is only on the al on this list once, and it's, it's way down lower. Right. To me, as someone who grew up in the 90s, I would have assumed, you know, Tupac and Biggie were kind of the big, big story of that decade. Like, what... Mm -hmm. why is Nas here now maybe again this is the ignorance of not knowing the genre why is he here and Tupac not um, right uh, uh, maybe I don't know maybe Pac has the, the issue of like being a prolific artist with never one really great album that uh, that's better right. than the rest but um, so I don't know I, I'm fine with this here uh, it's, we didn't say this at the top but this is a massive jump this album was at 400 in the original list then uh 396 in the coffee table book 402 so it actually fell a couple spots in 2012 and then okay. jumps all the way up to 40 to number 44 here so something about this one that people suddenly think is more praiseworthy than it was uh, a decade or right. two ago um i'm curious how that will hold over time uh, mm -hmm. uh to be in this slot yeah i'm i'm with you um and you're right, re reviewing again, looking through the list, with the exception of that one, quote, decade, mm. 61 to mm. 70, there's really are, are not many uh, from, you know, the next for the next 30 albums. And in the next 10 we're going to do, there are there are zero. So, yeah, it, it's like they've kind of stacked a bunch in the front and then it kind of lets off. Yeah. So I don't know, but I think I'm okay with it here. I think that if hip-hop is an important genre right now, which it is, it, it potentially the most important genre right now uh -huh. this is one of the foundational albums of that genre certainly when we go to early hip-hop in the late 80s to that new aggressive whether you want to call it uh, hardcore hip-hop or gangster rap or or whatever as we move into that becoming more prominent this is one of the big albums from that time so i think i think it's appropriate that it's up here whether it should be in place of Biggie or somewhere in the middle or up with uh, Public Enemy, I, I can't say. Um, but I think uh, it definitely should be represented up at least north of 50, uh, which it is. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Again, being not, not as familiar with this genre and this artist at all, really, I don't feel I can say a whole lot about it Yeah, um, yeah. with any credibility. Yeah. As we say, uh, no credentials. Certainly not for this genre. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned that um, the album you had was from 2002. I believe that was his fifth album. And I'm not sure how many he's done, but maybe around 10? Somewhere between 8 oh, and 10? Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Pretty, pretty prolific. And surprisingly, this is the only one on the list. The only one. So this is the one and only time we talk about Nas. So interesting. An influential artist. Yeah. Uh, very prominent in the hip-hop world, but uh, this is the only time it appears. So yep. we say hello and goodbye to Nas all in one episode, and we move on. Before we get to the end of this group of ten albums, we have two more hip-hop albums to discuss, so we still still got some more of the genre to go through. Mm -hmm. So that was a new review for us, um, and we hope you'll join us next time for another new review. Ben, do you want to tell us what we got coming up? Yeah, we're we're finally getting another album by Prince. Uh, number forty-five mm. on the top five hundred album list is "Sign of the Times." "Sign of the Times," I guess, would be how you'd say it without pausing there. But it is the letter O. <laughs> well, if you look at the the album, the sign, peace sign, the Times. Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's got a peace sign, but sign, you're right. "Sign of the Times." So, uh, yeah, Prince coming up next. 
until that time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope that you take care of yourself and those around you. And we hope you'll join us next time here on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.